Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Victor's Corner for Wednesday, June 5th, 2019. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, and this week I am doing a solo episode because Carl, unfortunately, was not available this week. He's off busy cosplaying as Nia Jax's double knee braces, so I am here to hold down the fort uh, this week. And yes, as you can see, I am back on Facebook live um eddie ortiz has joined the chat thank you my friend what's up and yes this means that i am back on facebook now let me explain what went down you see uh youtube uh youtube was it's a it's a great platform uh as far as video goes and it's much easier to get on you know in terms of live video but you know Worth, we're, we're enormously thankful uh, for our uh, YouTube uh, followers, our YouTube viewers. But in between um, YouTube and Facebook Live, Facebook Live generates twice to three times as much engagement and viewership with our videos as uh, you, more than YouTube. And plus, YouTube um, does have a problem with trolls. Now, uh, to our fortunate luck on the Codex Prime podcast, we've never had any real issues with like racist and sexist, like every ist uh, online troll, except for that one episode we did with the UWO. But again, that's just that's part and parcel with YouTube, unfortunately. So. Um, and plus, given 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 the fact that I'm actually going to be talking about a uh, a film, or rather a miniseries that just came out on Netflix that is rather powerful, rather incendiary, um, that would that would equal guaranteed troll fodder on YouTube, and I'm not I'm not willing to deal with that noise ever again. So. What did I have to do? Yes, Eddie, <laughs> welcome back to the dark side. Um, I had to uh, log back in um, using the Codex Prime Podcast at gmail.com uh, uh, email, and I had to set up a brand new Facebook account uh, with my name. However, that being said, uh, my Facebook profile is strictly a platform for me to get on the Codex Prime podcast Facebook because I, I did this for y'all. You know what? As far as our viewers and listeners go, you're welcome. I did this for you because I care about this podcast and I didn't want to uh, take my chances on, on the troll haven that is YouTube. So I decided, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a new profile I got to use my name because I tried using Codex as first name as Prime as last name but then you but then Facebook said, "Well, you got to use a real name, people a name that people call you in real life." So I had to use my real name. But with that said, my Facebook profile is super private, as private as it can get on Facebook. Um so don't at me, don't friend me. As far as you're concerned, I'm still not on Facebook. You you don't see me. Well, you see me on you know doing Victor's Corner. As far as Victor's Corner go, and as far as a Codex Prime podcast go, that's when you see me. Anywhere else outside of the Codex Prime podcast uh, Facebook page, I'm not here. We've never met. I'm John Cena. You can't see me. Okay. So as long as we have that agreement, we're cool. My profile is not real to you, therefore it doesn't exist. Boom! I just blew your mind. So yes, uh, yeah, Gabe Jackson is is here. Yes, Captain Buzzkill is back on Facebook. <laughs> 
So who knows? I might I might show my face again on the Wrestling Fantasy Warfare or definitely on the UWO. Uh, speaking of the UWO, you can catch them uh, later on tonight. They're going to be talking about NXT. Uh, also, Shannon Hartley, what's up? Uh, uh, great to see you again on the chat. And Kyle Chapman, the most diabolical hater, decided the Mississippi. Welcome, my friend, on the chat. So... What are we going to cover tonight on Victor's Corner? Well, I do have a couple of uh, film reviews for you. I'll be reviewing uh, the films Booksmart and The Perfection. Um, I'll also be talking a bit about NXT TakeOver 25, which took place last Saturday. Um, I'll also give a review of When They See Us by Ava DuVernay, which is a powerful four-part miniseries on Netflix. And I'll give my thoughts on some some, of the, some interesting headlines as well to cap off the episode. So uh, before we get into the proceedings here, what's up, Brian, um, you can get yourself a pair of Studio Regent headphones. That's right. This is our sponsor here, the official sponsor of the Codex Prime podcast. Studio Regent headphones, 24-hour battery life, Bluetooth-capable, studio-quality sound. Ooh, you can listen to that crystal-clear stereo sound and let it rub all over your body. Mm. Just go to Codex, Just go to studio.com and enter Codex Podcast to get 15 percent off your order and as always free shipping in the usa all right here we go (laughs) so so yes we are back once again (laughs) um (laughs) oh so please don't wfw is a little different now oh that's too bad but yeah um i do have a film review some film reviews to to drop on y'all uh one is uh is currently in theaters now and this is a refreshing uh teen comedy it's called book smart and book smart is a is a new comedy uh which is the directorial debut of olivia wilde and it stars caitlin dever uh beanie feldstein and billy lord and jessica williams and this is a really cool film um it's a story about these two uh, best friends, Amy and Molly, uh, played by uh, Caitlin Dever and Beanie Feldstein, and and they're two uh, two best friends who are about to graduate high school, you know. And, but these uh, but these two students are very studious. They're a hundred percent about their books, a hundred percent about going to class. Homework is like what they consider their extracurricular activity. Um, their idea of an exciting evening is sitting down at home and watching Ken Burns documentaries, which. Hey, good taste because Ken Burns is one of the greatest documentary filmmakers out there. But anyway, you know, the, you know, they're 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 pretty much about the books and not much else. And so while they're while they're about trying to graduate with high marks, uh, the rest of their graduating class, uh, their classmates are about end of the year shenanigans. They're about to be free of high schools. They're about to hit, hit up college or explore other endeavors. So, so to celebrate their upcoming graduation, the rest of their their uh, uh, s- uh, senior class are all about two things: parties and drinks. As far as followed by more parties, followed by more drinks, followed by more shenanigans, you know, stuff that, you know, stuff that high schoolers, you know, high school seniors, you know, and budding college students get up, get up with, you know, but, you know, Amy and Molly, they're above all that noise. However, with graduation just around the corner, Amy and Molly uh, realize that they've never had any fun, any real fun during their four years of high school, like They've, they go to, it's for them, it's like eat, sleep, schoolwork, repeat. 
And, you know, Molly, you know, she's a type of uh, stuck up chick that looks down her nose at, you know, the students that, that she deems, oh, you, you guys are just lazy. You guys don't don't put it don't turn in your work on time. You bunk classes, you know, well, I'm over here. I'm about my work. I'm about my work. I'm getting my work done. What are you doing? And much to her surprise, the other classmates who, you know, who are mostly who are more about parties and their schoolwork. They're getting into good colleges and universities just like her. You know, one kid says that, hey, I'm, I'm going to Stanford. Another kid saying that they're going to Yale. Another kid who was basically a stoner says that he's actually not going to college. And then Molly's like, yeah, I, th- I knew it. You ain't, you, ain't, you ain't about that college life. The kid responds, well, I'm actually going to be working for Google and I'm going to be making six figures. And then Molly feels mad stupid for for turning her nose nose up at people, so so her and Amy d- realize that they've never had any fun. They've they spent their high school years looking down their nose at people. So they decide to cram four years worth of fun, parties, excitement, and bullshit into one evening. So they decide to go party hopping uh, throughout the night uh, across town, and of course, wild shenanigans ensue, and. Uh, yeah, it it goes, it it, it 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 stuff goes down as they say, but you know, looking at Booksmart, it's an outright hilarious comedy. It's fresh. It's it's witty. It's exciting. It goes in really unexpected and expected places at the same time, and it's definitely one of the most refreshing teen comedies I've seen. Um, I would put it right up there with uh, The Edge of Seventeen, which came out in 2016. That stars Haley Steinfeld and Woody Harrelson, and I'll also and also and also put Booksmart with Superbad. You know, Superbad was really was really hot back when it came out in 07. So I would say Booksmart definitely belongs in that same canon of like great teenage comedies of this century. Um, you, what I love about it is like there's like this great chemistry between Amy and Molly. Um, their dialogue and their banter, their back and forth is just completely genuine and natural. Just like off the cuff, the the, t- the comedic timing is on point. Um, there's a funny, uh, uh, another funny supporting character, Billy Lord, uh, who's Carrie Fisher's daughter. She plays this weird, free spirited, somewhat edgy girl who pops up at random places throughout the film from out of nowhere. Um, she's kind of hopped. She's kind of high on drugs half the time and like you don't know what she's about she's kind of hostile but you know she's all about that party life too because she's on the verge of graduating um also there's an interesting take on on many of the other supporting characters in the film like who like i said they they're not just a bunch of uh stereotypical you know archetypes that you see from like high school teen comedies like they're actually you know about about doing you know about their grind you know as well and you know, and and the, and the main, and the main uh, crux of this movie is about you know all work and no play makes you know Jane a dull girl. So, you know, you you, you I mean you you gotta you gotta party hard as hard you gotta party as as much and as hard as you work. You know because you know one one without the other is kind of dull. So you you gotta have that that balance of work and play. You know that that uh, that studiousness and ratchetness, if you will, and. Um, if if you're looking for a really cool teen comedy or just a really really hilarious comedy with like a really great soundtrack, uh, it's got it's got tune, tunes by Dandy Automator, Run the Jewels, M.I.A., Anderson Pock, um, and and a whole bunch of art, other artists. Um, definitely check out Booksmart. Booksmart is is a is a 
it's a comedy that really deserves more eyeballs. And it's still in theaters now. So if you're in the mood to check out something that's hilarious, something that's witty, something that definitely bears repeat viewings, check that out. It's in theaters now. I would put it, once again, I'd put it right up there with Superbad or The Edge of Seventeen. Um, so yeah, check it out. And uh, let me know what you think about that film. Um, Eddie Ortiz says that uh, uh, Booksmart is basically super bad meets hangover, but with chicks in the lead. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say hangover, because keep in mind, this is a you know teen, teen comedy, so it can't, it can't go full R-rated territory. But I would, it would, I would say it has elements of the hangover, but I would say that Booksmart is funnier than the hangover. So, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, so, yeah, that's one film. And the other film that um, that I do want to recommend as well, it's on Netflix. And this one is a new film which was dropped uh, just this past uh, Friday, and it's called The Perfection. Mm. And The Perfection is a film directed by Richard Shepard, and it stars Allison Williams. You know her uh, from Get Out and as well as Girls, uh, Logan Browning and Steven Weber. And in this story, Allison Williams plays this uh, troubled musical prodigy named Charlotte, and uh, she and in the beginning of the film, uh, excuse me, uh, her mother passes away. So she's kind of she kind of has some, you know, she ha- she's kind of emotionally troubled, emotionally fraught. And so she's uh, looking for Elizabeth, played by Logan Browning, who's this up and coming brand new musical prodigy who's like uh, the, 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 the talk of the town. And she's a star musician. Um, at their school, that they, the same school that they've uh, that they've trained in, and so when Charlotte and uh, Elizabeth finally meet, uh, their encounter takes them takes them to a rather unexpected and rather horrifying turn. And the Perfection is a film that is deliciously dark, and it's macabre. It's it's so messed up. It's the type of film that Carl would say it's a Victor movie. It's a film that treads in really dark horrifying places that that i really couldn't recommend to most people i know because they'll be too squeamish to watch it which is perfectly okay because you know this film this film is it's it's all that the perfection is it's a it's a it's a kind of like a psychological horror film that kind of has elements of body horror um for example there's there's a there's a scene where where one of the main characters uh, vomits uh, maggots and spiders, and uh, that, and and and, you, and, you, and it goes from there. You know, that's just the start of the of the disgusting uh, nature uh, that the film uh, unfolds. Um, also, there's some black swan territory between uh, Elizabeth and uh, Charlotte. You know, they kind of they kind of had this thing where it's like, okay, are they are they lovers? But but what's Charlotte's angle? Because since Charlotte is played by Allison Williams, at first I thought that her character was kind of like her character Rose from Get Out, where she, where it's like, okay, here we go, here we go with this this white woman trying to take or steal the essence of this another black person. But the film doesn't go there. But the film goes in a rather, rather messed up, rather nightmarish turn that, you know, I can't really say without without spilling the beans on the details of the film. But I will say that this is a film that it's it's really sinister. Uh, and I will say that I would recommend The Perfection for those who have a taste for... Um, taste for the macabre a taste for the horrifying um i would say you know for for more squeamish viewers out there i wouldn't recommend eating 
before watching this film, or I would say, go ahead and have yourself a meal while watching The Perfection. You know, and you know, try it out. You know, if if you have a cast iron stomach, then you know, congratulations, you are someone of a hardier stock and constitution. But you know, with with the, with the with how dark and and just bloody and grimy the perfection is, I say that this film is deliciously grimy. It's 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 just so juicy, and I would watch it again. You know, I, I will I will I will take time to watch it again and. Uh, you know, I might like it even more because it sits my kind of film. It's right up my alley. It, it, it definitely, uh, it definitely rubs every one of my tail feathers the right way. So, the perfection is on Netflix. Check it out if you're in the mood for something horrifying. And um, checking back in the comments here, um, Gabe asks in ref- in reference to Booksmart, which Hangover though? Um, I would say Part One. I haven't seen Hangovers Two and Three, but I've heard that the sequels aren't as good as the first. Um. Uh, as far as Charlotte goes, yeah, he thought he had switched. I switched to wrestling, but that's actually a good segue because I do have some thoughts on NXT Takeover Twenty Five, uh, which took place uh, this past Saturday, June first, at the Webster Bank Arena in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And uh, that this this is the twenty uh, fifth Takeover. I can't believe it's been that many shows, but. You know, surprise, surprise, for those of you who are familiar with uh, with the NXT brand on WWE, surprise, surprise, it's another great show. And uh, this, this uh, event consisted of five dope matches, each of which got ample time on the card. So if you're a fan of the NXT brand, and if you're a fan of professional wrestling, and if you're not about that main roster nonsense with um, wild cards and uh, Brock Lesnar... You know, and and Roman Reigns all up in your all up in your TV set. Come to NXT. You know the scoop. So, with uh, NXT Takeover Twenty Five, they kicked off with uh, with a banging match between Matt Riddle, the original Bro, versus Roderick Strong. Uh, this was a dope match. It was uh, nearly fifteen minutes long. Um, I give this match four and a half out of five stars. It was definitely hard hitting. Um, Roderick Strong is just one hell of a of a crisp, snug athlete. Like what I like about Roderick Strong is that. He has a way of making his offense look stiff and snug at the same time. And um, like from his backbreakers to his chops to his like Ushigoroshi, like the it's like a it's like a combination brain buster shoulder breaker where he like drives drives his opponent on his knee. Uh, Matt Riddle hit, came through with some hard-hitting offense. He tried to hit him with the with the bro mission. Uh, Roderick Strong uh, squirmed out of it, but then uh, Matt Riddle ended the match by hitting uh, Roderick Strong with a with an, another unique signature move, which he calls the bro Derek, which is which is essentially uh, the neutralizer. Um, uh, gotch neutralizer face buster that Cesaro uses sometimes. So Matt Riddle won that match. Uh, definitely a four, four, four and a half out of five star match. Definitely a great opener for a Takeover Twenty Five. Uh, the next match was also dope. Another four and a half out of five star uh, uh, match between uh, the Street Profits versus Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch. Uh, the Forgotten Sons, Wesley Blake and Steve Cutler, and the Undisputed Era, uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, the Fatal Four Way for the ladder match for the NXT Tag Team Championships. The War Raiders, or is it the Viking Experience, or is it the Viking Raiders, or is it the 
Viking War Raiders Machine Experience. I forget what their names what their names are this week, but uh, the the War Raiders uh, vacated their tag team championships a few weeks ago on NXT. So since they're called called up or called down to the main roster, so the NXT tag team championships were up for grabs for a brand new for some brand new uh, winners to take the belts. Uh, so many great spots in this match. I gotta say the the real MVP of this ladder match was definitely uh um what's his name? Montez Ford from the Street Profits. Like if you've seen Montez Ford, like this dude has star written all over him. Like this dude is a future future single star. Like you, you if you've seen his frog splash, this dude has like the highest frog splash I've ever seen. Like nobody has ups like him. He's got charisma for days and like I can definitely see him shining on the main on you know on the main roster that is if they if they handle him correctly and since he's also the husband of Bianca Belair I can definitely see you know Montez Ford and Bianca Belair being like a power couple if they decide to push them to as a as a dual act um as far as Angelo Dawkins go I do like Angelo Dawkins I, I'm glad that he he's found his footing in the Street Profits but um as as Eddie Ortiz said in the uh, Codex Prime UWO uh, chat um Angelo Dawkins is very much the Marty Jannetty of this of this tag team, so I don't know what you can do with Dawkins should Montez Ford strike it out on his own. But in any case, now um, so the, your, the Street Profits are your new NXT tag team champions. They're definitely going to be holding it down on the tag team roster. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they mix it up with the other tag teams as well. Also, like I would not I would not have minded minded at all if uh, Oni Lorcan and Denny Birch won the tag team titles as well. I think they're a solid tag team. They're definitely a workhorse tag team, and I can definitely see them with the belts at some point in the future. Uh, Carl Bird has just joined the chat. What up, man? Um, and Gabe, you are absolutely right. There's a reason Angelo Dawkins has been in NXT for seven years. Um, I could definitely see him getting future endeavored um, if Montez Ford uh, breaks off on his own. But who knows, you know, maybe uh, maybe Dawkins can find his footing somewhere else. Maybe AEW, maybe New Japan, MLW, ROH, I don't know, but we shall see. Maybe Angelo Dawkins will prove us wrong. Uh, the next match was for the NXT North American Championship, the Velveteen Dream, Ambiance, Atmosphere, Illumination, ex Experience versus Tyler Breeze. Yes, Tyler Breeze is back on NXT where he belongs. Um, this was a great match. This was a four out of five star match. Definitely solid uh, uh, offense between the Dream and uh, Tyler Breeze. You know, looking at Tyler Breeze's NXT run before he got called down to the main roster, I've always said that, you know, Tyler Breeze was, the, was my number one reason why NXT needed a mid-card title. And I always, because Tyler Breeze always came so close to winning the NXT championship, like he was always bridesmaid, bridesmaided, you know, he, always bridesmaided, like he was always a, always a bridesmaid, never a bride, like he always came close to the gold, but never got it. So from, so to me, seeing the NXT North American championship uh, in existence, I can definitely see Tyler Breeze getting a hold of that belt eventually, because I think that belt was made for him. And so... Velveteen Dream, 
you know, he's he's still the champion. You know, he came out with that velveteen swag with the braided the braided mohawk, the the silver blouse, the 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 granny church gloves. You know, the 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 gold the gold glittery tights, the white boots. It it, it was complete swag. I have I have three words to describe velveteen dreams, fashion sense, and ensemble. Fabulous. I'm through. Listen, yes. So, you know. Velveteen Dream, you're still your NXT North American champion, but you can't. But hey, big big ups to Tyler Breeze for holding it down. And I do predict that uh, by the end of this year, we may see Velveteen Dream finally capture the NXT championship. I think he deserves it, and I hope, I hope with everything in my being, that Velveteen Dream does not get called up to the main roster. Before, I mean, that is to say, I hope Vince, I hope Vince McMahon leaves or gets or steps down from the main roster, which won't happen anytime soon. I do think Vince McMahon is going to die as the CEO of WWE. But until that day comes, Velveteen Dream needs to stay in NXT because he will wither and shrivel up and die on the main roster because Vince McMahon will not know what to do with Patrick Clark. So the North American champion experience is still here to stay. Dream over, baby. And welcome back, Tyler Breeze. Uh <laughs> so just checking back on the on the on the uh on the chat here. Eddie Ortiz is chanting AEW. Yep. And uh the next match on the card here was the NXT Women's Championship match between Shayna Baszler and Io Shirai. Uh, this match was three and a half out of five stars. This, for me, was the weakest match on the card. It wasn't bad by any means, but what I still don't understand... Let me take off the Velveteen Shades. Uh, what I don't understand is why they're keeping the Women's Championship on Shayna Baszler. Uh, Shayna Baszler has held the Women's Championship since last October uh, when she defeated Kyrie Sane. Now, Kyrie Sane is called, called up on the main roster... She's with Asuka in their tag team. Um, I don't know if they're still going to build Io Shirai to another, perhaps a no disqualification match, or if they're going to somehow uh, in- include Candice LeRae in the mix, or perhaps they'll include um, Mia Yim in there as well, maybe like a Fatal 4-Way type deal. But I- I'm still I'm still unsure as to why Shayna Baszler still has the championship because it's like, well, what exactly do you do with the Queen of Spades? I mean, she's pretty much proven that, yeah, she is the most dominant woman in NXT. But where would where does that leave like major call-ups like Io Shirai? I mean, I mean are you gonna just let them flounder? Let them just like wrestle a few matches before getting called up to the main roster before getting that NXT gold. I'm not sure, but I will say Shayna Baszler at this point, like she's been ready for the main roster. I mean, she would definitely be able to fill, uh, the void that Ronda Rousey left since, you know, Shayna Baszler is part of the four horsewomen. So I could definitely see Shayna Baszler filling that role on the main roster. And I think that that's where, at this point, this is where, that's where she should go because there's really not much else she could do in NXT. So, 
I do want to see Io Shirai with the championship. They got to pull that trigger soon. If not, if not next time or next takeover, then when? Um, that and also you got to free that title up for other competitors like Candice LeRae, Mia Yim, Bianca Belair, because Bianca Belair is in some ways the uncrowned uh, women's champion. You know, given her uh, showing against uh, Shayna Baszler, so it's going to be interesting to see where they take her and Shirai in the future. Um, uh, Carl said that a uh, dream was actually going to be called Mr. Velveteen and be called to SmackDown, which again, that's, that shows you why Velveteen dream should stay on NXT. Um, and also Gabe says that, uh, 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 they're waiting until Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafir improve. Yeah, I agree too there as well, Gabe. Um, I think that they want to call Shayna Baszler, up at the same time with with Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafir, but at this point, Marina Shafir and and Jessamine Duke they're still really green. They're they're greener than my wall here, so they need a lot of seasoning and a lot of development and coaching before they can get called up to that main roster game. So if that's the, if that's if that's why they're letting they're making Shayna Baszler spin her wheels in NXT, then I can I can understand why that is. And then last but not least in NXT TakeOver, you had the main event, which was a five-star, 32-minute classic, clinic, if you will, between Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole, baby. Um, I absolutely loved their two out of three falls match at the previous NXT TakeOver during WrestleMania 35 weekend. This match was just as good. I mean, I can't really say that that their first match is better than this one or that this match is better than the other. They're both equal. They're both exactly on the same level. They're both five-star clinics. Um, Adam Cole, I'm really glad that they finally pulled the trigger with him. Adam Cole is now your new NXT champion. Um, next to Johnny Gargano, Adam Cole is now the second Grand Slam slash Triple Crown NXT champion, having won every single uh, um, championship, um, which was interesting because I didn't think that they would consider him as a, as an NXT tag team champion. Um, I think, But I think that the Undisputed Era went by Freebird rules, so... So and I think even when Bobby Fish was was on the was on the injury list, um, he was still considered an NXT Tag Team Champion, even though uh, O'Reilly and Strong held the belts. But yeah, man, Adam Cole, man, he is definitely the future. I mean, you if you look at his body of work in the last ten years, like Ring of Honor up till now, like you'll know that Adam Cole is a bona fide star. He is a bona fide main eventer, and I will go so far as to say that. If you were to if you were to compare, um, say Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa's series of matches to Kenny Omega and Okada, I will say that Cole and Gargano is is to NXT what Jericho and Omega is to New Japan and AEW. So that's so that I think those are the analogs there where you have two high profile main eventers that'll always deliver every single time. These two could not pull off a bad match together if they tried. Like these two could literally stare at each other and you'll have like chance of fight forever and this is awesome left and right. That's how good these guys are. And as far as Johnny Gargano goes, yeah, I can I can, I kind of get like a 
Sasha Banks type vibe with Gargano because when you think about it, Gargano technically has never had a successful championship defense when he when he was a the North American champion and the NXT champion. But still, I think with Gargano, he's such he's he's the type of babyface where for him the appeal and the money, as they say, is in the chase. Gargano is the perpetual chaser. Like he's always about going after the gold. And seeing him with the gold is great. But then but seeing him chase the gold is even even better. Whereas Adam Cole, he is just absolutely money. And you cannot mess up a good thing with Adam Cole unless you're Vince McMahon. So but anyway, enjoy it while it lasts because Adam Cole is your new NXT champion. I can't wait to see the banging matches he's gonna pull off in the future. Um I want to. I, I definitely want to see an NXT Championship match between Adam Cole and Kushida, because Kushida is one hell of an athlete, and I think those two can pull off a five star classic as well. Um. Also, looking looking at the chat here, uh, yeah, uh, Cole is fucked if he ever if he ever gets called up to the main roster. Vince will job him out to everyone. I agree. Uh, Johnny Johnny Gargano will forever be in the underdog role. Oh, also a good one, Jeremy. Uh, Adam Cole versus Champa. Uh, when Champa heals up, whew, that's going to be a dope match. Um, Gargano to two hundred five live. Um, yeah, I think I think two hundred five live. I, that would be the a, a better use of his talents um, because on the main roster you'll just be another face. Um, Johnny Gargano can definitely be like the new king of the cruiserweights if you will on the on 205 live because he could definitely you know hold it down as johnny wrestling there uh john haponic shout outs to you my friend he said gargano didn't win an oscar suicide squad did (laughs) yeah it did but uh but yeah nobody cares about suicide squad because suicide squad is trash um that that is until james gunn will rescue it hopefully he'll do better with part two or rather is it is it going to be called the suicide squad but anyway but yeah that's just my quick uh, rundown with nxt takeover takeover 25 um there's also been some questions um from some wrestling fans on social media as to which of which wrestling event uh in these past two weeks was better was it was it aew double or nothing or was it nxt takeover 25 um, if if I really had to, if it was really up to me, I would say that I don't want to compare the two events because they were so good and like they gave you everything you wanted as a wrestling fan. But if I really had to choose between Double or Nothing and and Takeover Twenty Five, um, I will say that Takeover Twenty Five is the better show because for me Takeover Twenty Five was much more concise at five matches and it, there was no wasted time whatsoever. Um, and there was only one so-so match on the card as well. Um, Double or Nothing, um, I would say Double or Nothing is a strong four and a half out of five, whereas uh, NXT TakeOver, I'll give it a five out of five as well. So it's just like half a point difference if, at best. But that's just my, that's just my view. Um, so yeah, moving on uh, into, into this... Uh, Thing. Oh, well, looks like we got some uh, dueling chance here. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, Brian Lopes. Uh, dueling chance here between Eddie and Jeremy. Eddie is chanting AEW, whereas Jeremy is chanting NXT. <laughs> so, who will win? And Eddie Ortiz says, "Fuck WWE." A chant that we can all agree on. <laughs> and so now uh, we're going to be shifting gears here, 
uh, to a, another rather serious uh, uh, subject matter, which is uh, the latest miniseries on, um, on Netflix, which just debuted this past Friday. And it's called When They See Us. And When They See Us is a brand new four-part docudrama miniseries by Ava DuVernay. Ava DuVernay, she's the director of such films as Selma, A Wrinkle in Time, um, her amazing documentary 13th, which is also on Netflix. Um, Also some independent dramas like I Will Follow and um, Middle of Nowhere. And she's also the executive producer of the television series Queen Sugar, which is on the Oprah Network. And When They See Us, uh, it's a four-part miniseries which is about the Central Park jogger case from 1989 in which a uh, 28-year-old female jogger named Trisha Melly, she was attacked and raped in Central Park, New York City. And there were five teenage boys who were arrested by the NYPD and they were forcefully coerced into making false confessions to the crime. And these boys, they became known as the Central Park Five. Uh, They were convicted in two separate trials in 1990, and they spent between 6 to 13 years in prison. They were falsely accused. This was a crime they did not commit. They had nothing to do with, but the NYPD pinned it on them, and they unfortunately... Uh, suffered and and lost years of their lives, years of the years of their childhood as, as a result. And uh, these five gentlemen, uh, Kevin Richardson, uh, Antron McRae, uh, Yusuf Salam, Yusef Salam, uh, Raymond Santana, and Corey Wise, they were innocent. Once again, they had nothing to do uh, with this crime, um, but they were victimized by a systematically racist justice system that only sought to make an example out of them because they were black and brown, they were black and Latino youths. The system, the, this so-called justice system only, only set out to make an example of them rather than doing the actual, doing the job of finding the actual perpetrator, so which was a travesty of justice as well. Um, <clears throat> um, so... So this four-part miniseries was it's it's infuriating. It's it's deeply compelling. It's emotionally intense. It's heartrending, but it's also uplifting as well because um, these five gentlemen, um, Kevin, Antron, Yusef, uh, Raymond, and Corey, they did see a happy ending. Fortunately, they managed to rebuild their lives. More on that later. Um, this is a film that. Um, it's it's also an important, it's an engaging work. Um, Ava DuVernay did a brilliant job of directing this film. She directed it with such intelligence and such empathy uh, and, and such um, clear-mindedness. Um, and, and this and this four-part series will hopefully generate some much-needed discussion and some and and will motivate people into actually trying to go trying to pursue some real positive systemic changes in our criminal justice system which is so broken especially towards black and brown people and so uh the first episode of when they see us it it deals with uh, kevin antron yusef raymond and Corey as young boys and they're uh interrogated they're arrested and they're interrogated by the nypd and this first episode for me was the most upsetting of the four uh, because in this episode, you had uh, Linda Fairstein, who was this uh, prosecutor played by Felicity Huffman, which is a rather interesting casting. And and uh, Felicity Huffman plays Linda Fairstein, who was this prosecutor who was so hell-bent on 
on these on on making these kids pay for this crime, even though all the evidence did not point to them, even though there was absolutely no DNA evidence uh, from any of the five boys, uh, uh, the the times that. The, the times were really inconsistent with the time of the actual assault. Uh, the boys were nowhere near the site where the where the assault took place. But but despite all of that, despite the lack of evidence, these boys were still interrogated. They were still tortured. They were still physically and verbally assaulted by the NYPD into signing false confessions to the crime because you know you had these like you had these cops that were saying that oh just just confess and we'll let you go home. Um, these they forced their they forced these boys to like uh, to speak without any legal representation. Um, they they even like basically forced their parents out of this, out of the discussion. They kind of muscled them out. Um, there was this one shithead cop during the interrogations who was like who was like you know the so who was playing the so called good cop who was like tearfully pleading with the boys like oh man you shouldn't be here oh i'm so sorry just 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 say you did it man i'm here for you man i'm trying to look out for you like that cop was a real shithead just like trying to play on their fear and fears and vulnerabilities man i hated how how the first episode unfolded but that doesn't speak to the quality but it just speaks to how i felt about how these boys were just railroaded and and what makes it even worse was that while these boys were ultimately sent to prison, you had Linda Fairstein who knowingly falsified evidence and she spent the better part of like 10 to 20 years selling books. She was like a, a true crime novelist. She was selling her books based on like crimes that she worked on and she was making money off that while these boys were in prison. So that makes it even, even worse, you know? And uh, also you had episode two, which shows the, the boys on trial. Um, and so they're 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 also on trial for the, for this for this crime, but they're also judged in a court of public opinion. Um, the this episode episode two also features actual footage of Donald Trump, who actually called for the death penalty uh, to be brought back in New York because he wanted to see these five innocent boys executed. He actually took out uh, full page ads in newspapers and throughout the city, which says "Bring back the death penalty," and he called for that he called for these five boys to be ex- executed. And and uh, even even more insultingly, when the when the when the five gentlemen were ultimately exonerated, um, Trump actually doubled down on his remarks and he said that yeah, the boys deserve to be executed, and he didn't even apologize for what he said, which is equally distressing in its own right. Um, episode two uh, was was really was was really frustrating as well um, because you had another prosecutor who who also who also participated in the case she was she represented um, the city and uh, the vic- and the victim um, this other prosecutor um, Elizabeth Letterer uh, played by Vera Farmiga uh, she was a prosecutor who as as seen in episode two realized that even told Linda Fairstein outright that yeah we don't really have a case here because these boys are nowhere near the scene of the crime there was there's no DNA evidence at all um th- you can't link you can't link this crime to them but she still got she still decided to prosecute the boys anyway so blood is on her hands as well and you know, you know, watching this watching this miniseries, um, I do want to take some time to shout out um, and to applaud the main cast of the of the series. Um, you have uh, Kevin Richardson, 
uh, who was played by uh, two actors. Um, each of the five, each of the each of the five gentlemen were played by two sets of actors, um, the ones as kids and the ones as adults. Uh, so you had Kevin Richardson, who was played by Asante Black as a kid and just and Justin Cunningham who was the adult version uh, who had Antron McRae who was played by Khalil Harris as a kid and uh, Jovan Adepo who played the adult version uh, Yusuf Salam played by Ethan Ethan Harris Ethan Harrisy and uh, uh, Chris Chalk uh, Ray, Raymond Santana was played by Marquise Rodriguez and Freddie um, and Miares and last but not least uh, uh, Corey Wise was played by was played both both as a kid and as an adult by the same actor Jarrell Jerome and Jarrell Jerome you might have seen him in the film Moonlight as well and Jarrell uh, Jerome was amazing uh, throughout this uh, throughout this film he he really had the standout performance of When They See Us especially in episode four where it shows him. Um, um, which is the fourth and final episode, which actually shows uh, his character, Corey Wise, um, suffer through the adult justice system. Because at the time when Corey Wise was arrested and sentenced, he was 16 years old. So he was tried as an adult and he was sent straight to uh, straight to adult penitentiaries. And the fourth episode definitely shows him in solitary confinement, just him being the victim of vicious assaults and beatings by other inmates. And um, the film kind of flashes back to like his time uh, during during prison, where he has conversations with his mother, who tries to visit him. And it flashes back further to um, his home life, where uh, the one person that he could turn to was his uh, was his trans uh, sister. Um, who was there for who was there for him as well? Um, uh, Jarrell Jerome, like he plays his character, just full of raw nerves, full of like nervous energy. Um, while he's in solitary confi- confinement, like his mind just flashes back to times where he tries to relive some of the most positive moments of his life before the time he went to Central Park, um, before he got arrested, and you see. And you see his his growth and his adjustment uh, uh, as this character, and man, I gotta say, like Jarrell Jerome's performance was absolutely captivating, and he definitely is a leading man. Like this dude is so talented that he deserves his pick for any project that he wants. Like he should he should take the lead for any project he wants moving forward. And I definitely would like to see him get get more more awesome projects down the line because Jarrell Jerome is a great actor, definitely a new up and coming face that we should all pay attention to. Uh, also the supporting cast of when they see us, they were equally strong as well. You've got, um, Anjanu Ellis who played, uh, the mother of, uh, Yusef, uh, uh, Sharon's, uh, Salam. Uh, you have Nisi Nash who plays Dolores Wise, who's the mother of Corey. Uh, John Leguizamo plays the Raven Santana senior. Um, he had he he had a great uh, turn as well, and also you had Michael K. Williams who played uh, Bobby McRae, who was the uh, somewhat absent father of um, of Kevin Richardson's character, um, and then you also had um, or, or rather um, Antron Antron's character, and then you had Kyle, Kylie uh, Bunbury who played Angie Richardson, who was the older sister of Kevin Richardson as well. Uh, so the supporting cast in this film were, was equally as strong. They definitely did a great job of fleshing out um, their uh, what they were going through as well while their boys were were um, locked up. And then you see the times where they do visit, where they do advocate for them, and you know try to 
try to try to give instill some hope in them while they're suffering and being railroaded through the system. Um, you also had um, episode three. Episode three was definitely my favorite episode of When They See Us is where uh, the boys are released from prison and then you see the adult versions of them and they're trying to readjust into society. And and this episode was a, was a brilliant uh, illustration of what felons go through once they're out of the system because when you're out of prison, you may be out of prison, but you're not out of the system. And what was so fr- what was so illuminating and yet frustrating about this portion of the miniseries is that it showed why why felons are why ex felons are so trapped because it, it's because it's so easy for them to go right back in the system, right back in a jail cell. So, for example, you had Raymond Santana who's trying to find a job, and there's a scene where he meets up with his uh, with his um, PO, his parole officer, and they and they meet up in this uh, this restaurant. And and um, they and uh, his his parole officer gives Raymond a, a job job application to fill out just for practice, and then he explains to him like what it means to, what it means when you fill out when you check off the the box that says are you a convicted felon, and then um, his parole officer breaks it down further that okay you see that uh, see that sh- that cook over there in the restaurant that they're that they're in, <clears throat> he points out that that this cook that's preparing their food is also an ex-felon and that if if Raymond takes that job and if they work side by side together then Raymond could can can legally be locked up back in prison because he's working with another felon because that's considered associating deliberately associating with the criminal element so if you work with somebody who's another who's also an ex-felon even if you have no connection with them beyond work you go right back to prison um if you violate your curfew goes you go right back to prison and 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 if you're trying to apply for jobs it's so hard because as a felon it's perfectly legal to discriminate against someone if they're a felon so if you can't secure a job you're back in prison if you can't secure proper housing you're back in prison so the system is just so it it would be so comical if it wasn't so sad like it's designed to make to make sure that you go right back that's why recidivism is so high so it was definitely a very illuminate, illuminating episode. So ultimately, um, when they see us, is it, it, it's just so powerful. Like it, it's just so brilliantly directed. I think this is definitely, for, in my view, Ava DuVernay's best work to date. Um, I really hope that more and more eyeballs get a chance to view when they see us. It's it's just such it's just such it's just such a powerful. Um, uh, series um it's also an example of why the cr- the criminal justice system is so broken and why it definitely needs a reform and it's so heartbreaking too because when you look at when they see us when you look at the details of the case even though all of this happened in 1989 just 30 years ago this could have literally happened five days ago you know it, it could it could happen tomorrow and but also like I like I mentioned before, um there is a happy ending for these five because they were ultimately they ultimately had their names cleared, um and they managed to sue the city of New York, but they managed to actually receive a forty one million dollar settlement from the city just five years ago, back in twenty fourteen. So they had to fight for a whole other decade just to get some some more real justice their way as well. So if you're interested, definitely check out When They See Us. It's on Netflix. I highly, 
highly recommend this series. I can't recommend it enough, especially if you're a fan of Ava DuVernay. And if you do watch When They See Us, I also encourage you to check out some other uh, companion uh, films as well. Uh, definitely check out the 2012 documentary called The Central Park Five uh, by Ken Burns and Sarah Burns and David McMahon. Uh, that documentary is a documentary about the Central Park Five case and it interviews the five gentlemen uh, directly and uh, their feelings about the whole situation and, and how they managed to rebuild their lives after this whole ordeal. So check that one out, The Central Park Five. Also check out 13th, which is on Netflix, directed by Ava DuVernay, an excellent documentary about the criminal justice system from from the end of slavery to now and the problem of mass incarceration. Excellent documentary. I can't recommend it highly enough. And also check out on Hulu another documentary, Crime and Punishment, uh, which is a documentary about the abuses from the New York Police Department and how um, how there are several uh, police officers of color who actually try to try to try to do the right thing by trying to reform uh, the NYPD from within and all the op- all the roadblocks and obstacles that come their way. So check out those three films while you get a chance in addition to When They See Us. Can't recommend it enough. Whew. Uh, so, um, so now that, now that I, we've gotten uh, When They See Us out of, out of the way, um, just want to transition and wrap up with some uh, happier headlines here. So before I do that, I do want to give a quick shout out once again to our sponsor, uh, Studio Regent Headphones. Uh, once again, um, high quality, high fashionable headphones, uh, 24 hour battery life, Bluetooth capable, studio quality sound. Um, just enter Codex Podcast to get 15% off of your order. And as always, free shipping in the USA. That's right. So now I want to wrap up with uh, some interesting headlines that I've that I really wanted to get and get to touch on um, these past few episodes of the Codex Prime podcast, but unfortunately didn't get a chance to because of Game of Thrones. Uh, shout out to Aris and UWO as well. So one headline that's been making the rounds here uh, to get into some nerd content is that uh, Robert Pattinson. Is has officially been cast as the new Batman. So Robert Pattinson will be starring in Matt Reeves' The Batman, which is scheduled for June 25, 2021. So the film's going to be coming out two, uh, yeah, two years from now. And, and Matt Reeves' film was originally going to star Ben Affleck, and it was going to be a continuation of the Bat- Batman, uh, Ben Affleck uh, DCEU version. But uh, uh, this version reportedly will be a reboot of sorts uh, for the Batman character. Uh, Robert Pattinson has signed a three-picture deal, so he's, he's going to star in his own trilogy of Batman films, a la Christian Bale. And what's interesting about about this is that Matt Reeves' Batman is going to continue is going to drive the uh, it's going to emphasize the noir aspects of the Batman character. It's going to focus more on the detective aspects of Bruce Wayne and Batman because you know Batman is the world's greatest de- greatest detective, but we've yet to see a film that really dives deep into that aspect of the character fully. I mean, we've had we've had elements of that in. Um, the Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, but it'd be great to see a more detective, more traditional detective noir story with the Caped Crusaders. So I do, I, I do like that direction, and I also absolutely love, 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 love 
Robert Pattinson as Batman. Now, I know there are people out there that are scoffing. They're like, well, Robert Pattinson? What? The guy from Twilight? Are you kidding me? Dude, people, ladies, gentlemen, if you don't know, do not sleep on Robert Pattinson. This dude is a fantastic actor. Like, this dude makes such great choices as 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 an actor um forget twilight like if if you if you're interested in, in seeing the best of robert robert pattinson what he's really capable of in front of the camera i encourage you to check out the following films um if you if you have amazon prime or if you have like if you can check out the dvd or blu-ray check out check out his film from 2017 good time which I also reviewed on the podcast a couple years back. Good Time is the best Robert Pattinson performance I've seen. He plays a complete New York City lowlife. He's on the run. He's trying to get money for his um, developmentally disabled brother. It's like a it's like a seedy, grimy crime drama, and it's so good. Robert Pattinson was just so phenomenal in it. It's called Good Time. Check that film out, and that film should make you a believer of what Robert Pattinson can do. Um, I also high, I also encourage you to check out uh, The Rover. Uh, the Rover is another Robert Pattinson film, which also stars Guy Pearce. That's like a it's like a dystopian um, a dystopian uh, film, which kind of takes place in the Australian outback. Uh, that film, Robert Pattinson has a very interesting performance as well. Um, that film should also uh, turn some heads. He also gained, gained some crit- critical acclaim. Also check out his uh, interesting supporting performance in The Lost City of Zed, which stars Charlie Hunnam. Uh, Robert Pattinson has an interesting uh, role in that as well. Um, also, Maps to the Stars. He also played a great supporting turn. And John Haponic, you are absolutely right. Uh, Heath Ledger was hated too when he was cast as a Joker. And now, today, Heath Ledger is the most iconic Joker in cinematic history, at least in my opinion. Um, but yeah, yo, Robert Pattinson, he is a proven actor. And and what I love most about him being cast as Batman is that this will give the opportunity for, for independent and art house directors who want to cast Pattinson in their films to get the fun the, to get the funding they need, as well as the attention, excuse me, as well as the attention that they need for their smaller films. Because you're talking about like smaller films that can't compete with the marketing might of the event, your Avengers, your Disney flicks, your MCU films, whatever. Robert Pattinson is is an art house darling at this point, and when you cast him as Batman. He's going he's gonna to open the door for so many interesting filmmakers out there. And I cannot wait to see what he's going to bring to the table moving forward in his career. Um, in fact, um, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, some other films that, he's, that, that just dropped this year uh, in, in limited markets. Like, for example, he, had his, he has this uh, science fiction film which just came out, uh, started, which was directed by Claire Denis called High Life, which received some very good reviews. It's, I, th- I think it's currently playing still in New York and Los Angeles. I hope it does make its uh, arrival here in Rhode Island so I can so I can have a chance to watch it. Um, there's another, another film that he just did with uh, Will, Willem Dafoe called The Lighthouse, which was direct, direct, directed by Robert Eggers, who also directed The Witch, which is one of my favorite horror films of uh, this past decade. So looking forward to that when that comes out here in Rhode Island as well. And last but not least... Um, Robert Pattinson will also star in Christopher Nolan's next film called Tenet, uh, 
which is scheduled for July 17, 2020. So that's coming out next year. And Christopher Nolan, like that dude has never made a bad film. He has made, I believe, 10, 10 or 11 films so far. He's on a streak. And if Christopher Nolan makes a film, I'm there already. And with Christopher Nolan and Robert Pattinson, that's a must-see right there. So again, do not sleep on Robert Pattinson. Check out all those films I mentioned, and you you will be convinced of his talent. You'll be a believer. I'm telling you. Um, also, thank you, Brian Lopes. Uh, uh, he says, "Great show. Got to set up. The boys are on their way." So UWO is uh, a debate debuting soon. Um, also, I do want to wrap up with uh, two more headlines here, real quick. Um, there, uh, Tom King, who's the writer of uh, the Batman uh, comic book series right now, as well as uh, Mr. Miracle, an excellent, excellent miniseries. Uh, definitely check that out. Um, and Ava DuVernay, once again, uh, Tom King and Ava DuVernay, they're going to be co-writing the New Gods screenplay. Ava DuVernay will be directing the New Gods film as well. So when you combine the writing prowess of Tom King, the directorial prowess of Ava DuVernay, you're going to have some genuine magic, and I can't wait to see their take on Mr. Miracle and Big Barda, perhaps Darkseid and Orion on the big screen. Oh, man, we are in for a serious treat. And for the record, like I said before, I absolutely adore the direction that DC Films is going right now between Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Shazam. Like DC is really taking a positive direction where they're concentrating on standalone films that are interesting in their own rights. It's not building up to like this big ginormous shared universe. The standalone films tells that tells story, tells their own individual stories well. And the new gods, like that's some serious, like trippy stuff for a film. And when you got Tom King and Ava DuVernay at the helm, I mean it's really a can't-lose proposition. So I'm hoping that we're going to get some true magic here. And uh, last but not least, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, the Sonic, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, has officially been delayed until February 14, 2020. So it's coming out next year on Valentine's Day. Uh, this was in response to the public outcry of the horrifying, nightmarish uh, Sonic the Hedgehog design. Um, so Sonic will be uh, redesigned from the top down as, um, as um, I guess, something closely matching the original Sonic the Hedgehog design. Now, that's not, that's not going to be indicative of whether or not the film is going to come out to be any good or not. But I'm, gl- I'm glad that the, that, that the director of the film at least responded positively and said, OK, we hear you. We're going we're gonna to take some time to uh, redesign uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog character. Now, I hope... I hope that this is I hope that this doesn't mean that the artists, the visual effects artists are are enduring a are a horrible crunch period to get this character redesigned um in time, but I mean I will say that, you know, the Sonic the Hedgehog design, I I wasn't a big fan of it, a fan of it. I I thought it was pretty creepy. Um, like I said uh, a, a couple episodes ago, Sonic the Hedgehog kind of looked like he should have been voiced by, um, uh, voiced by um, uh, the actor who played uh, Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs because he looked that creepy. Um, but, but yeah, you know what? Hey, 
maybe Sonic the Hedgehog will turn it around. Maybe it'll be, maybe it'll break the video game, video game movies curse. I don't know. But if you're a Sonic the Hedgehog fan, hey, you, you tell me if it's going to be any good or not. Because I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to be bothering, you know, wasting my time to see it. But hey, that's neither here nor there. So yes, we are an hour in so that pretty much wraps it up for this week for this ep- for this week's episode of uh, Victor's Corner so once again thank you so much for listening thank you so much for tuning in you can catch all of our episodes on Facebook live um, uh, as, as well as YouTube we will upload uh, our episodes on YouTube live as well but Facebook live is the number one destination to, to see all of our episodes uh, every week on Wednesdays with the Codex Prime as well as Victor's Corner you can also email the show at CodexPrimePodcast at gmail.com um, you can also check us check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes uh, Google Play, Google Podcasts as well Follow us, follow, us, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and of course, uh, Facebook as well. So once again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. I'm Victor Omoyo. This has been another episode of Victor's Corner. Um, be sure to check out the UWO podcast, which comes on right after this. They're live. Um, check out check out their rundown of NXT uh TakeOver 25, as well as some burials of the week. I'm gonna be chiming in on their chat as well. So that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, So yeah, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we will catch you on the flip. Peace out, nerds.